Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 113 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is April 14th, 2010, one day before you need to turn in your taxes if you live in the United States, so make sure you do that. We have a really good show for you this week on the podcast. We're going to talk to Harvey Hyde. We'll talk to Dan Weber of uscfootball.com. We're also going to talk to Greg Biggins of ESPN Rise. We'll have Gerard Martinez talking with him talking all about USC recruiting. If you have any questions or comments, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. We'd love to get your emails and answer your questions on the air. International questions are great, too. We love to hear from people outside of the country. Uh, Again, we're going to talk with Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. We love talking to Coach Harvey Hyde. He's joining us over the phone right now. Coach, how are you, sir? I am doing great. I'll tell you what a beautiful day it is here in Southern California. Football season, spring games happening all over the country. Spring practice, had an opportunity to get out and see you and a lot of friends this past Saturday over at USC for spring practice. Went with Mike this Saturday along with a scrimmage at USC. A lot of great things happening, a lot of evaluation going on, and it's a great time of the year. Certainly is, Coach. And I just want to thank our sponsor before we get into all of that real quick, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or you can call them 1-800-888-7287. Concert, sporting events, theater. If you need tickets for anything, check out SCTickets.com. They've always been nice to us and helped us out, and we appreciate their sponsorship on the podcast. And Coach, it was good seeing you out there. You're like your celebrity down there at USC. No, I'm not a celebrity. I, I just like walking around and seeing people and talking to parents. You know, one thing as a coach, uh, one thing I liked, and a lot of head coaches don't like this, but I love to recruit. I was a, I was, I, I look forward to recruiting. They're talking to prospects on the telephone or parents and so on. I loved uh, calling the kid in the office and saying, when's the last time you talked to your mom? Oh, about two weeks ago. Oh, let's call her up right now and talk to her and say hi and, tell her what's going on and so on or, or, you know, that type of stuff. I like to still keep in touch with my players, wherever they are and whatever they're doing and so on. And, and I really enjoy talking to parents about their kids and what's going on with the football today. And there's no one that cares as much about, you know, a a player than a coach. You know, you really, when I was coaching, I was around people's children more than I were my own. And uh, you have a responsibility, and you're trying to teach them discipline as far as, you know, the the rights and wrongs in life and so on. And these parents really have a lot of confidence in you. And and I just like talking to parents who are willing to have their kids out there and be disciplined and pay a price and and be a part of a tradition. And, And I like meeting them. I really do like meeting them because I really think they're all special people. Not just the parents of players, but the people who care about kids. Yeah, it's funny. The uh, you know we've been doing the site for quite a while, and the podcast we've been doing for a couple of years now. And uh, a lot of people will come up to me, and you know I assume they you know whatever they'll oh hey Ryan I love the podcast or I love the site I'm on the site all the time. And it's funny, and they want me to say like hello Trojan fan. You know I don't think I have a great voice or anything, but just they've heard that so many times because that's how we start the show off. And they wanted to 
they want to hear you say that and stuff. And then they, they always ask about you, Coach. And uh, when we were at practice on Saturday, it was kind of funny. I was talking to uh, Frank Khalil and Cheryl Khalil. Uh, they're the father and mother of uh, Matt Khalil, who's a tackle on the team, and then Ryan Khalil, who played before and is now with the uh, Carolina Panthers. Um, but, yeah, so it was funny. Like, oh, yeah, we listen to the show all the time. And he was t- telling the stories. And um, Dick Manoogian, John, John Manoogian's father, he, he listens to the show. And he comes down and says hi. Robert Knight's a big fan of, you know, he's close with a lot of the the team and he's a he's a big fan of the show he tells me every time how he downloads it to his ipod and listens to it while he's at the gym and then you come over and i get to introduce you to all these people that were just talking about you it was it was pretty fun i'm glad you got to meet some of these people out there that uh that listen to the show and like it well i thanked him for listening and as i told him on saturday and i tell him every week here on our broadcast i say you know it's just my opinion and my opinion is 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 everyone has one and i just try to tell you the truth not trying to be personal. Nothing's personal as far as the coaches or kids or anything. It's it's what I see and how, how I would evaluate it if I was on the practice field or at the game or, or so on or the questions they ask me about certain things. So there's a lot of different ways of doing things. Mine isn't the only way, but mine is uh, the way that I discuss it. I can't tell you how someone else might do it. All I can do is tell you my thoughts on the topic. Yeah, and I think we appreciate that. I, I... I'm glad it could, because, you know, you know, a lot of people down there and just to see the, like the look on your face when people come and talk to you, you just like genuinely happy, like, oh, wow. I, you know, not realizing how many people uh, come down to practice and listen to the show, but it was, it was fun to, to introduce you to some of the fans. And I always like when people come up and say hi and say they listen to the show and stuff. Cause it's, it's fun. I mean, we, we really started doing this a couple years ago because the local LA radio really is focused on professional sports. It's hard to, you know, you're not going to hear spring football talk on any of the local LA radio stations. And like we said before, I get calls from, you know, Alabama or Florida or or Texas. They want to talk USC spring football. And so I can do radio in other States, but it's hard to do it locally. So, I mean, with the podcast technology, I didn't really know much about it. We kind of started doing this as just ballooned and taken off and, Every week for two years, we've been we've been doing the show, so it's it's a lot of fun to do it with you, Coach, and I'm glad you've got to be a part of it as well because I know it's all kind of new. This podcasting stuff is new to all of us, but it is fun and it's a great way to talk about the team and keep this thing going year round. I agree with you. You know, I even had one guy when I was walking by. He says, "Hi, Coach. How you doing?" And he says, "How's your dog?" <laughs> and I tell you, that was great. It was absolutely great. And I said, well, she's still around. She's laying here right at my feet right now. Her name is Cece. And so I wanted to report that to all of our listeners out there. She's getting a little bit older. She just looked up at me to make sure everything was cool. But she follows me around the house all the time, you know, and she wanted to make sure I didn't sneak her out or move somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, she'll let everybody know once in a while she's in the background. Today, she's sort of cool, laying back. I just gave her a dog bone before the show so she'd be quiet. You know what I mean? Makes sense. So everything's cool. Everything, she's happy, but football season's not too far away. And, and uh, everything's been really going great. All right. Well, you know, the real reason you were down there, not just to meet our, you know, the people, the listeners on the podcast, we wanted to see what was going on uh, during spring football. You got to see it was a really interesting scrimmage. I thought kind of a, you know, an offensive explosion in the beginning that was surprising to a lot of people, especially because, you know, the, we were talking some offensive line. Only eight guys were, were active for the scrimmage. So a lot of guys had to go both ways. You're playing ones versus twos and things like that. Then the defense kind of settled in the second half and made some big plays. Uh, what were your overall thoughts of the scrimmage? What happened down there at USC on Saturday? 
Well, you know, since you mentioned the offensive line and you talked about turns and so on, let me mention this before we get in my overall thoughts. First of all, the more turns you get in the spring, the better it is for you. Believe me. You, if I was an offensive lineman, I'd be, I don't want to say I'm happy people are hurt or thin, but I'd be happy I'm getting all these turns. Look, how, look at the opportunity of getting better. You don't go to practice to watch practice. You go to practice to get better and to go against good people and, and show that you can play. You don't go to SC unless you think you're a football player. Don't go there and think, you, you know, oh, well, I'll be a good backup. You go there to be an All-American. You go there to go to the Rose Bowl. You go to where, where win national championships. And if fortunate enough, you have an opportunity to play in the NFL. So if you've got eight offensive linemen, those eight offensive linemen are rotating. Well, those eight offensive linemen are getting turns. That means they're getting better. They're going more times than someone else. And I think that's really great if I was an offensive lineman to have that opportunity. Now, I'm not saying it's good for depth, but it gets people to play. And if you're hurt, you better get ready to get back in there, but someone's going to take your position. And, and my, I, my thought was I always used to say as a coach, I used to say, son, you might be hurt, but I tell you, you better get well in a hurry and get out here and play. And some kids were really hurt, so they couldn't do that. But I tell you, if you have a hangnail, that isn't going to work because coaches want players who are going to be there in the fall. They want players who are going to be practicing and getting turns and learning the offense or their position they play. So if you're kicking back and you're missing turns, you're not getting any better. And in the minds of coaches, they're looking not only at technique, they're looking at toughness and guys that they can rely on when the football season comes. You can't have a first-string guard or center practice once a week or every other day and then come the fall and all of a sudden he's well ready to go. No, but that's a trend. You know, you don't change your habits. You got to be tough. You got to play all the time. And when you get those turns all the time, all of a sudden a little nagging injury, you don't feel it anymore. It's just part of the day and you learn to play through it. And all of a sudden in some situations, it goes away. So, uh, you know, I think that if they're thin on offensive line, yeah, that's not good as far as depth. But for the guys who are playing, they are getting better. For the guys that aren't playing, if they're hurt or something, they're, not, they're losing a great opportunity. They may not play in the fall. Uh, I, I agree with you, Coach. And that we, we've talked to some of the offensive linemen. They seem to enjoy it. You know, I mean, it's, it's not great overall for the depth. But if you get more turns like that, I mean, it can only make guys better, guys like you know, Kevin Graff, who may not get as many reps, probably getting a lot more reps now. A lot of the tackles, I mean, usually Tyron Smith, Matt Khalil, we talked about his dad and stuff. There's only, you know, three tackles a lot of the time, so they're going to get a lot of extra turns. But overall, what about the rest of the scrimmage? What did you think? I mean, there were some surprising plays. Dylan Baxter had that amazing run they put up on YouTube, and Dejon Harris stole the ball away from Mitch Mustaine and almost scored a touchdown. Mitch Mustaine maybe the most impressive play of the day, running down Dejon Harris from behind and tackling the guy that's 300 pounds. There's some great plays there. Yeah, it did, and that play happened so fast, I really didn't know who did it, and uh, I had to check that out. But I'll tell you, overall, as far as what I saw out there in pads, is I saw a different program in a sense of is it wasn't a a popularity contest. It wasn't a a reality show. It was a football practice. And what I mean by that, there was some raw rawing going on, but very little. It was a business. It was a business. You know, bring your briefcase. We're going to work. 
And this is uh, not, uh, you know, the only way to win, but it certainly is a way to to set an example of, hey, guys, we're out here to practice. We're not out here to talk to our parents or hug cheerleaders in the background or get on one knee or sit on the, the uh, golf cart. We're out here to practice. I saw that. I saw guys mostly all the time with their helmets on. I didn't look around to see if there was a rule that you only take your helmet off when the coach tells you to. I don't know if that's in effect or not. I had that rule. I used to say a helmet is very important. Keep it on all the time for protection. You never know when you're going to hit, get hit, even if you're on the sideline. If you don't think it's important, I'll let you play a couple of plays without it. <laughs> and, and, and you, know, it, it's the, you know, it depends exactly what your rules are and regulations. But I saw players' intent in the practice. What I meant and what I mean by that, when they weren't in there practicing or doing their turn, they were paying attention to what was happening on the practice field or in the group drills. They were listening to the coaching of the coaches and the instructions of techniques and so on that were going on. They weren't talking to each other or squirreling around. They were into football practice. And I think that it was a more tougher type of attitude. And today I noticed in the paper, and everybody else probably noticed that, that a couple of jersey numbers have been changed and so on because of who wore these numbers before and the people playing at certain positions maybe weren't playing at the level of what that jersey number should be. So they've been changed. Now they can get that jersey number back, but there's certain ways of saying, hey, if you wear this guy's number, you've got to play at a certain level. Now that's just another way of motivating players. But like I said last week, you've got to always start tough. It's easy to get easy, easier, or let up a little bit. But you can't start weak and don't have any discipline and get, then get tough. It doesn't work. The kids think it's a punishment. Football is not a punishment. It's an opportunity. It's a gift that God gave you to go out and play on the football field. And if you're going to be out there, you might as well give it 100% no matter what you do, same as in the classroom or anything you do. It's a God-given ability to play at this level. And I, and I, and I saw that out there. I, I didn't see coaches uh, mess around. I didn't see a lot of coaching in between plays, but I saw coaches coaching all the time. Like in the one play that I really enjoyed is uh, they threw a fade route to play, uh, uh, probably the new freshman. Prater, Kyle Prater. Six, yeah, Kyle yeah. Prater, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and they and he didn't make a catch. He could have made the catch in the end zone uh, on a fade route. He could have made that catch, and he didn't. So the very next play, I heard the coach yell at him, "You got to make that play." The very next play, they came out, but the DB was celebrating and so on on how he, you know, broke up the play. He really didn't do much. The kid just didn't make the play. Came back and ran the exact same play, and he made the play. And I think that's a way of saying. You got to make that play. We're going to run it again, and he scored that touchdown on that. So you know, there's ways of 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 of, of passing a message on the players. I I saw an emphasis too more, I believe, uh, on the running game and the toughness of the offensive linemen. And I look real close at the efforts of players on every play, as far as if the play's away from them, and if you're a receiver, I want to know if you just come off the line and don't do anything and because you say, oh, man, i tell you, the play's the other way. And I, and I watched that closely, and I saw some receivers doing that, just coming off and not attempting to block or, or doing certain things when the play was going the other way. 
And then I watched the lineman, too, and I watched him, and I see if they finish a block. That's a term that's used by an offensive line coach. They're not looking to see where the ball carrier is. They've latched, latched, latched on to somebody, and they want to drive him right into the ground. They want to just keep driving, 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 and when they're through blocking him or whoever they're supposed to kiss off on a block or so on, they're going to finish the block. Then they're going to look and see what happened to the play. A lot of times you'll see linemen make their first initial block and look to see if I should keep blocking because maybe he's already tackled. And then, oh, he's still running, but maybe I better get back into the game. So I watch that closely just to see who's playing the entire play. And that's on with the receivers, the backs, everybody. A quarterback continuing with his fake, the entire play, as far as even if he's not in the play. And also the defensive linemen, as far as pursuing and do they get to the football. They might see someone over there that's made the tackle. Do they stop where they are and say, oh, I don't want to run that far? Or do they get over there and congratulate the guy for the hit and get back in the huddle? I look for all of this type of stuff. And I, and I see some good I see some improvement. I see what they're trying to teach out there and do out there. And I think it's a tougher brand of football, what they're trying to teach, a little bit more hard-nosed football than the technique part, part, part of football and the fun part of football and how cool it is out there and how much fun we're having. I, I don't hear that used in our quotes and the quotes in the newspaper either. On, on, on the practice, it was a beautiful day. We enjoyed it. The sun was out. You know, it, it, it's, hey, we're out here. We're not going to come out here no matter what the weather is. We're going to come out here. We're going to hit somebody every day because this is our job. This is what we're out here for. We only have so many days, 15 days to get this done. We can't waste one minute out here. And, and I see more of a little bit of that. Yeah, I mean, seven practices down almost halfway through spring ball. I think everything you said is true, and there's a different attitude out there. Not to say what Pete Carroll was doing was bad or whatever. I mean, just it, but there is definitely a different attitude. There's a different intensity level. And I don't think it looks like it's not a punishment for the players. It looks like the guys have bought in. So I think everyone seems to be on the same page. We'll see what happens when fall camp comes in. You get some new blood coming as well. But so far, I mean, I've been getting high, high marks for uh, Lane Kiffin's spring football. I think it's worked pretty well. But we got, we got a question too, coach. You want to answer a, a technical football question? I'll try to. All right. Well, I know, I know you've been out of it for a little while, but you still you keep up <laughs> with what's going on. Terry and Day wants to know, what is the difference? We hear a lot about the receivers and the different receiver positions, X, Y, Z, stuff like that. What's the difference for me between a slot receiver and the other wide receiver positions? And like, kind of what are the different skill sets that go into playing those different positions? Well, there's a lot of different slot positions, you know, uh, that you you you, you uh, utilize players for. You know, there used to be an H back uh, that uh, used to be a big receiver that you could use for blocking situations or mismatches. Sometimes you even put the tight end out in the slot. You move the tight end out to the Z, and he's a big receiver out there in the slot, and you have a mismatch out there uh, against a receiver who's trying to cover you. Uh, then you see in some offenses, uh, you'll see a slot back. And the slot back, for all of our listeners that are listening, is the, is the middle receiver between normally uh, the split receiver and the line of scrimmage. Uh, you'll, you'll see a lot of uh, smaller players that are very quick that are really good in that area because they catch the ball and then they make yardage because of, the, of missed tackles. You see that a lot. Uh, you see back sometimes shift out there. 
a Reggie Bush type of back, a, a, a Dylan uh, Baxter type of back, where you, you get the ball to them quickly in the seam and they run down the field and it's a mismatch there in the secondary. You get them in the secondary right now. Then sometimes you get the big receivers out there and you run like you call, you don't want to call it a pick route because a pick route is illegal as far as picking the outside receivers. But you can get a big receiver in there and they run crossing routes, a lot of crossing routes where the big receiver just bumps into or forces when you're facing men coverages to run around this big receiver where it creates a space between the Z or whoever it might be to be open. And the same thing vice versa with the big receiver running to the flat or running an out where you put the ball up there over his uh, outside shoulder or inside shoulder where it's very difficult to be covered. So there's a slot can be used for a lot of different reasons. Reverses, you can use the slot for blocking purposes. You can put the slot, if it's your tight end in motion, bring him back across the formation and all of a sudden shift your formation from a weak side to a strong side. You can do so many different types of things with slots. They, 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 it depends what your play is. It depends what your purpose is and, and what you're trying to accomplish. So a slot receiver is basically someone who is a great athlete but can do it all, but it doesn't always have to be just a receiver. It can be a tight end. It can be a big receiver, someone that causes a mismatch and, and is a good blocker too. Or it can be a very quick, smaller type of guy who can get open in coverages and, and is a screamer type of guy. So uh, uh, it depends exactly what your objectives are as far as what the purpose of what your play is and what you're doing. All right, Coach, thank you very much for the answer. And TD, thank you for the question. And uh, great segment, Coach. It was good to see you out there at practice. Hopefully we'll see you out there again over the weekend and we can talk about it next week. I'm going to try to get out there. i got so many things going on Saturday. I've got to get over and be at swim with Mike. i got to teach a class in the morning first at Passing City College. And I'm going to get over there at uh, the pool for Swim with Mike. I'd like to encourage everyone to get over there. That's yeah. a tremendous, tremendous event. Ron Orr and Mike Nio put that on. And then uh, I'm not sure what time the scrimmage is. Now, if the scrimmage is right then at the same time at 11, which it normally is on a Saturday, I'll be able to see an hour or so of that, and then I've got to run off to a funeral. But otherwise, a uh, very busy day, a great day out there a Saturday for all the events that are happening. And, of course, uh, Ryan, I want to thank you for uh, having me on. Of course, Coach. Thank you very much for joining us. Everyone else, back in 30 seconds, talking more USC football. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concerts, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining us. Dan, how are you doing today? Hey, very good, Ryan. Good to be here. Yeah, sorry we missed you last week, but uh, Brian Fisher filled in nicely. And uh, 
But so much has been going on. You know, we're almost halfway through USC spring football. They had the scrimmage on Saturday. I got to talk with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde in the previous segment about some of his thoughts on the scrimmage. And then yesterday, Tuesday, man, so many, you called it Change Tuesday in your uh, practice report. So much was going on down there. What, what do you think of all the changes that have been going on at USC this, over the last couple of practices? Well, you know, I think the one thing you notice about it is it's done very thoughtfully, uh, and it's done at the right time. Uh, as Wayne pointed out, Tuesday's the one day you have a couple of days to get ready for it in practice, a couple of days to prepare. It's the only one where you've got the two days in between practices. It came after the scrimmage. Uh, it made logical sense, and it gave them a chance to, to get it done You know, before the actual practice on Tuesday, and then they could spend more time Tuesday implementing the changes, but without having to, uh, you know, they could do more teaching, which is what you saw. A lot of teaching yesterday, and, uh, you know, the first change with uh, uh, putting James Boyd, you know, moving him. He's been a tight end and a defensive end and had been a uh, a big-time quarterback in high school with a big-time, uh, you know, athletic body, and, uh, and I thought Lane, the way Lane said, you know, they've got two scholarship quarterbacks, and the way Lane said it was uh, – you know, I was watching some film of him in high school. Well, I do like the idea that, you know, the head coach has got, a, you know, maybe a, uh, an issue about what do we do to get a third quarterback, uh, and not just for this spring, but for next year, and maybe allowing, uh, you know, uh, the Scroggins kid to, to redshirt the whole year and not have to be, you know, made game ready as the number three guy. And so he's sitting down watching film, and he said, you know, the more I watch this film, the better I like the idea of him being a quarterback. What was that? And he did say it, Lane said it, but it wasn't emphasized was. He said James really wasn't, you know, getting much done as a defensive end. You know, that just wasn't, you know, a spot for him, putting his hand down on the ground and, uh, and uh, you know, playing uh, a defensive line. Uh, at the high school level, he was athletic enough to be able to do that. I mean, he was that odd, odd high school prospect who was a defensive end and a quarterback. I mean, you know, maybe once in a lifetime you'll see a guy like that. Uh, but he's just not a natural defensive end. And uh, I think they realize that they've got enough, you know, talent on the defensive line, which has become now the the big-time, uh, you know, uh, talent-loaded uh, uh, position that they could easily, I think, make that switch. And, and, and Boyd was just, you know, overwhelmed. He was so happy. It was interesting to watch. And he had no idea it was coming when they called him in Monday. Uh, uh, but it's clearly what he wanted, what he was hoping. And uh, when they told him, I mean, he's just, uh, he's all excited. And I'll tell you what, he will look good, as they say, in the airport at 6'5 and 250 pounds walking through the airport as, uh, as one of your quarterbacks. Uh, uh, he gives you a really... A really good look. He looked good in warm-ups. Uh, he's a big, <laughs> big, strong athlete, I'll tell you. Well, that that was the uh, one big change, going into practice, seeing him throwing the football around, wearing a yellow jersey. There was also some number changes. Uh, Lane Kiffin taking away some players' numbers. What did you think about that? Gosh, I, uh, an interesting, hard-edged, tough-minded, and I think ultimately correct decision. Uh you know, I know, uh, uh, you know, the the number one is kind of a recruiting, you know, uh, thing, uh, you know, with kids. And, and I do think if, if you're a kid who wants, you know, you know, and you don't always know how these things were, you know, offered. And 
what have you. But, uh, you know, the, I do agree with Lane that once you get here, if, even if they have given you that number one, uh, you really have to earn it. You have to keep it. You have to make, you know, make it clear you deserve it. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, uh, and I think there's, it, it sets a tone of accountability. I mean, it wasn't mean-spirited, and people can read more into it than that. It was just the fact that even if you've got, you know, you got it, you don't have it for life, and you don't have it for your whole career here. And it's going to be an honor every time you wear it. And you really have to earn it. And I don't disagree with his uh, his uh, feelings about the performance, you know, of, of the two kids that, you know, one on offense, one on defense, who uh, who no longer have number one. Uh, I think it was probably a little bit of, uh, of a, you know, uh, an insult to the number one and the concept of, of that number, uh with maybe the performance level. I mean, I think you have to be one of the team leaders and you have to be a guy who people look to and say, wow, that guy's really, you know, busting his tail. And wow, that guy, there's nothing, you know, he won't do. And I don't think you can be a kind of a laid back guy. I don't think you can be the fourth or fifth guy at your position and still be expecting to wear, uh, your whole career to the number one. So, uh, uh, I think it really set. Uh, I think it set a, a high bar and a, and a good goal. And I, I love it that he said, you know, not only number one is going to be that way, uh, number forty-three is going to be that way. Troy Polamalu's number, and uh, and they're looking at number uh, fifty-five. And uh, again, you know, the thought of of finding a middle linebacker who you know steps up to that, uh, you know, the way. It, used to be uh with you know what you had to do and who you had to be to to get number 55 and you know Keith Rivers kind of you know returned it to its glory and um uh and you know you wouldn't be surprised if they'll find somebody this year uh in that linebacking core and and make another move uh but uh, uh I I I really like the move I know it looks a little you know people could say oh that's a little hard hearted I think you got to be a little hard-hearted. I think you got, and I don't think it's bad for those kids. I think those kids needed to be, you know, we're talking about T.J. Bryant uh, at cornerback and uh, and Devon Flournoy as uh, wide receiver. I think they need that challenge, you know, uh, you know, to give them that little extra boost and say, look, you guys, people thought you were good enough and talented enough to wear this number. And we need you to show that you are, and we need you to become a leader on this team. And uh, uh, I think it's exactly what those kids needed. So we'll see how it works. But I, I, I couldn't endorse the move anymore. I thought it was an absolutely great move. And it also shows that there are consequences for how you play. That the coaches are going to watch, you know, the films of the scrimmage, for example, and they're going to come back and say, "Here, guys, this is what we've deci- decided based on." what you've shown us, uh, and you're going to make the call here. We're not making the call. You're making it by the way you play and by the way, you know, you perform and put out, and uh, and there are consequences to uh, to maybe just gliding, uh, you know, gliding through your career or, your, uh, or a practice or a scrimmage or whatever. You have to be a, a leader to wear number one, for example. I, I thought it was uh, the exactly right move. All right, and then the other big change of practice, which probably got the most uh, 
I guess the fanfare was Dylan Baxter. Eventually, we thought this was going to happen. But taking some snaps in the Wildcat or Wildbacks or whatever you want. They didn't really have a name for it yet. But him playing actually a little bit of quarterback, getting to throw a pass or two, uh, running the ball, hand the ball off. What did that? That must have brought a, a high level of excitement to practice when that when that started happening. Yeah, sure. I mean, they they started it in the you know the uh, team portion, the run team portion down at the uh, at the smaller field, and uh, so boy, you know, it was like the field had tilted because everybody you know ended up down in that corner. It was hard actually to even uh, you know you had to really work to get a get a spot because literally the entire uh, you know viewing crowd uh, moved down there because they saw in the first play all you saw was the ball the snap goes fluttering way over his head, you know, and he's jumping and Curtis McNeil, who's lined up at the tailback next to him, is scrambling to, you know, get the fumble about 15 yards or get the loose ball about 15 yards uh, uh, behind the line of scrimmage. And we're sort of, you know, kidding with, uh, well, I guess that's the last time you'll see that play with sort of a mocking reference to – the uh, difficulty in uh, making changes like that in the you know previous uh, coaching staff where it was so hard you know to even bring in the shotgun because it was too dangerous or too different or too whatever and uh, you know here they go right back at it boom the next play uh, McNeil runs a runs a uh, a little quick draw for a touchdown uh, then Dylan runs it uh, ran a keep for a touchdown and. You know, I know they had the defense prepared with a little package in case that happened, but I just think uh, they hit him quickly a couple of times. And, and honest to gosh, you get Dylan, you know, Baxter, and he's got one read basically. I mean, he's running kind of the read option. They didn't run any that we could tell, any like just sweeps where they just line up and kind of run an old single wing, uh, you know, sweep. Uh, uh, I'm one of the reasons is they've got the uh, they keep the quarterback in, so the quarterback they don't give it away by having the quarterback leave the huddle. So you've got either Mitch or uh, or Matt uh, Barkley going out and lining up wide and possibly becoming a blocker. Although most of the time just a decoy. Uh, I know that if you saw the Jets last year, you got you saw Mark Sanchez actually uh, you know throw some couple of big time blocks when they uh, when they got into the Wildcat and and the. To be honest, they do. I did get a hold of, uh, of Dylan when he left, and I said, "What are what are they calling you in that thing? Are they calling you the Wildcat?" And he said, "Finally, he was a little sheepish. He said they're calling him Diego, uh, the San Diego kid. So he's the Diego, uh, <laughs> and that's, that's their Diego uh, package. Uh, it looks like now none of the none of the coaches referred to it that that way, but Dylan said, yeah, they're." They're calling it Diego, so uh, I think he was a little – he's a really neat kid to talk to. But uh, uh, what you see with him as a kid, you know, that with those 79 offensive touchdown, the state record, and the fact that he basically handled the ball in every play in high school, either, you know, passing it or handing it off or running it himself. And, and the level of – uh, judgment that he has with the ball in his hands is just remarkable, and I think it's a it's something that we we probably underplay. But his comfort level with the football in his hands is truly amazing, uh, and it's something I know Joe McKnight was there yesterday, for example, and it's a difference that you notice between 
Joe, and uh, and maybe even at times Reggie, uh, you know, with all their physical skills that that those guys had and speed and uh, what have you, is that I didn't think either one of them looked as comfortable with the football in their hands as Dylan is. Dylan is, and and, and it was part of his run, the 50-yard touchdown run, he's really comfortable uh, making plays. So he has the ability to slow down, for example, with defenders around him and let them clear out. And I thought maybe one of the things that was harder for Reggie to do and harder for Joe to do was they tended at times to make their move too soon. That there, it was difficult for them because of their <clears throat> great athleticism and great you know, power and explosiveness and all of that, that there were times when they made a move maybe sooner than it was ready to be made and kind of ran into people or, or, or didn't wait for the, uh, the opening to completely, uh, you know, clear out or for the scene to develop. And if you look at Dylan, uh, the thing that he seems to have is that ability to relax, that ability to let things open up and the ability to see, okay, where is, where's the, uh, where's the scene going to be? Where's the opening going to be? And to be honest, if you're going to run a guy in the wildcat, what more could you possibly want? then he's really comfortable with the ball in his hands and really comfortable with the run-pass option or really comfortable with the run-handoff option, which he surely seems uh, you know, to be. And to have a guy who's also got the ability, if the seam opens for him, to take it all the way, which he did uh, once right up the middle. And uh, I, I think people were you know, kind of shocked that, uh, you know, it didn't look like it was open that much or that long, but before you knew it, he was he was by everybody. So uh, uh, I know Lane said they're going to shelve it, but it's coming back. And, <laughs> and, and the thing I think that's going to – the thing that – this is the unseen benefit of having the Wildcat. Everybody you play next year has to spend a significant amount of time every week – if they're preparing every day that they go out on the field to prepare for USC, they have to spend time getting ready for the Wildcat. And the time they're getting ready for the Wildcat means that's time taken away from what they're getting ready for Matt Barkley and Alan Bradford and you know, Ronald, you know, Ronald Johnson and Kyle Prater and the regular USC offense. Now, by USC you know, putting it in, in, in the spring and running it, you know, every day in the in the fall, it doesn't take that much away <clears throat> over the time over all that time. It doesn't take much away from USC, but it's going to take a lot more away from teams that have to play USC and get ready for not just a wildcat, but a really really good threatening uh, wildcat with a kid like Dylan Baxter. Uh, you know, in it uh, running it, uh, and it's just amazing. A freshman. An 18-year-old basically should be still in high school, who can step in and do that. On, uh, you know, it's he's. I mean, we get, we almost like you know want to tell ourselves, wait a minute, he's just come on, cool it. Uh, and yet you find you almost can. And and that was the thing I thought was so interesting Saturday after the scrimmage, the coaches couldn't help themselves. I mean, they, they, you know, these are people that are trained all their lives not to get too 
excited about, you know, something in the, you know, that may be coming down the road in the future and all of that, none of them could contain themselves. There was n- <laughs> nobody could, uh, you know, put a lid on it and say, oh, well, wait a minute, he's only 18 or he's only, you know, it was impossible. And so, you know, we may sound like, you know, we're just babbling on about uh, Dylan Baxter, but uh, there's something special there that you, you just can't ignore. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Dan. And uh, we're almost out of time. I wanted to get to a couple of questions real quick. Well, actually, okay. Sam had a question on the NFL draft. Uh, the draft will be starting next Thursday, so we'll talk about the draft uh, next podcast, Sam. So we'll we'll talk all about that on uh, next Wednesday show. Uh, but Kevin had a question on James Boyd moving from quarterback. Did that reflect on the level of quarterback play uh, on the team or more the talent level of James Boyd as a quarterback? And do you think moving him to quarterback is a permanent move uh, since this is his third position at USC? Well, I think it's uh, – <clears throat> I think they're thrilled at the level of quarterback play. I mean, I think they they think, you know, and I, I would tend to agree that, uh, you know, Barkley's improved by so much, uh, the the weight loss and, the, you know, having been in the system, you know, in, you know, here for a year and just the maturity level and all that. I mean, he doesn't look like the same quarterback. Mitch Mustaine has had a really good spring. I mean, he's, the, I, you know, I think it is a long uh, uh, step to say that he's the best, you know, backup quarterback in college football, and 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 I think there's a chance you could win any game on the schedule with with Mitch uh, with Mitch out there, and uh, uh, the fact that there's just two, I think, is 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 all that that reflects. Uh, I think it reflects that there really wasn't a future for him on the defensive line. Uh, the fact that they didn't think about going back to tight end with him is, you know, you might say, okay, they don't have a lot of tight ends, but they've got three new and, you know, three really good prospects coming in. And so he wouldn't have been that much ahead of any of them in the fall. So I think it's, it makes by far the most sense. And I think it's probably permanent because I think they would like to leave, uh, you know, uh, the Scoggins kid. Uh, you would guess they would like him to be able to, you know, take advantage of next year as a redshirt year. So that would, you know, give Boyd a permanent, you know, spot as the number three guy. And uh, and probably the scout team guy, I'm thinking. I mean, they've got, you know, you know some walk-ons like uh, uh, our guy, Mr. Manigian, and who throws the ball really well on that. But uh, but I'm thinking that, that there may be all those, you know, Scroggins then could come in and play, um, uh, you know, the scout team guy all year as well. Uh but I think it's I think it's permanent, and I think uh, it's a plus every way you look at it. For for James Boyd, it's a plus for the team to give him uh, another big you know athletic body at quarterback, and uh, and it it does nothing negative as far as the defensive line is concerned. I think they're they're really pleased with how that's developing. So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of how I look at it. All right. Well, thanks for that question, Kevin, and thanks Dan for. Uh joining us again on the podcast always fun to talk to you and man there was a lot to talk about this week so much was going on at practice it's so different and they're almost halfway through so there's a lot more coming you know what i think having a day like yesterday really keeps the interest level up as well you know you hit a high interest day on saturday and they come back with another high interest day and I, I think the coaches you know i know john baxter has always talked about the uh, associate head coach special teams guy about how you tell your story to the players and how important it is if you tell it in a way that 
that really grabs him like, you know, like a great teacher can every day that he comes into his classroom. And I think you see a lot of that. They really seem to be able to keep these kids, uh, you know, minds on the task and they keep them, you know, uh, paying attention because stuff's happening and it's interesting. And, uh, and I, I think that's a really, you know, I mean, I don't know that we were looking for that, you know, from Lane and, and the staff. I don't think we knew what exactly to look, uh, look for. But we're seeing a lot of really interesting ways of presenting what they're doing to the players that the players seem to really be responding to. Yeah, we certainly are. It's it's interesting, and it's only going to get more interesting as spring goes on. But thanks again for joining us, Dan, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Thanks, Ryan. I enjoyed it, and uh, look forward to it. All right, everyone else, we'll be back in 30 seconds talking some recruiting with uh, Gerard Martinez and Greg Biggins. You're listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. We're here with ESPN recruiting analyst and Nike football training camp director of personnel, Greg Biggins. And uh, Greg, great to have you on the podcast uh, this day. And talk a little bit about this uh, Nike camp coming up here pretty soon. It's going to be April 25th at USC. 14 years in the running. Uh, For the people out there that don't know much about the Nike football training camp, give us a little bit of a synopsis to what to expect and what it's really all about. Yeah, I mean, like, like you said, been doing it for a long time. Had a little bit of a, a change in format about three or four years ago, thanks to the uh, the wonderful NCAA, where we used to back in the day have, you know, part testing, testing meaning forty and twenty yard shuttles and whatnot, and then go right to football position specific stuff. Um, had to cut off the testing. We do combines now, but now the Nike camps are just all about football, which is kind of a cool thing. Obviously, all the, the top elite guys aren't really huge fans of testing, but obviously uh, they they do love football, so. It's an opportunity to come out, compete against other players, probably for the first time that are kind of on the same level as you, get some great coaching, compete. Um, and that's what we really push. I mean, obviously there's so many combines out there that they're kind of watered down and, and a lot of people, parents and whatnot, don't understand the difference between, you know, one from the other. But, you know, again, we really try to sell ours. It's number one, they're free, which makes them kind of unique in this day and age. And, and number two, it's not just about going out there and, and trying to up your stock. It's about actually getting coached and learning and getting better. Um, great staff of guys that played at the highest levels, and they want to teach these guys and, and how to get better. And if you're a 17 year old kid and have the attitude of, you know what, I don't need to get better, I'm as good as I need to be, then that's kind of a red flag in our eyes. Uh, you know, opportunity to obviously showcase your skills, compete against other top elite athletes, you know, raise your stock up, all that stuff the kids care about, their rankings, and, you know, whether it be rivals or scout or ESPN, everyone's out there covering it, so it is a chance to really up your stock. But we really push the fact that, you know, you're going to get educated and learn a lot from some of these coaches that are going to be out there. Now, uh, talking about the recruiting class in the state of California, and uh, this is going to be the first go-around for the Nike camp this year in uh, in Southern California, and always excited. You guys come from Florida, and you come from Texas. You have the Miami Nike camp kind of kicks it off. Then you guys were at TCU last weekend. California, a little bit different in that there are more unknown talents going into the camp circuit at this point in year 
there's a lot of kids that we don't know about. You know, there's California not as much exposure sometimes in some of the parts uh, of the state. So you're bringing some guys in. What's the position this year maybe that has the most potential for a surprise at the camp? You know, that's a that's a good question. Honestly, the, the position I'm I'm really focusing on is just that receiver position. Despite the fact that I think we might miss out on a couple guys because of injury, uh, you know, Devin Black, Devon Blackman's a guy I love, and obviously George Farmer is going to be doing track. But even without those guys, I think the receiver position is is still going to be really loaded with guys like Jordan Payton and Victor Blackwell and Antoine Arnold and and, uh, and you know even some out of state guys. But you know, I, I think if there's one position that, that that's I'm kind of intrigued by is probably D tackle, which is a position that usually out west is a little bit down. I think this year it's a great year for D tackles and specifically a guy like Todd Barr and Christian Haywood. Uh, you know, those are two guys that I think a lot of schools are looking at as we kind of uh, talked about already previously. You know, these are two guys that you know might be competing uh, you know, for a scholarship for, for certain schools. Uh, Antoine Woods is going to be there, and obviously he's a monster. Uh, looking at a lot of other players, but you know that D tackle position, I think, is a spot where we can kind of see some some guys that kind of emerge and and really you know become a, an elite recruit after the camp is over. And that's yeah, one of those positions that we come in in the camp kind of excited about. And like you said, different for Southern California, California in general, to have this many D tackles uh, early on that are guys that you're looking at as, as maybe national recruits that have scholarship offers from outside the Pac-10, not just within the Pac-10. Uh, going back to Hayward versus Barr, uh, those specific guys, you know, USC looking at someone to kind of position next to Antoine Woods, who's already committed to USC. He came in 6'1", 320 at the Five Star Academy at UCLA a few weeks ago. And you're looking for that compliment to Antoine Woods. Uh, what does Barr or Hayward in your eyes have to do uh, maybe to take that next step and get an offer from USC? What, in your view, just you know, kind of taking a step back, do you think that they need to prove that that next thing that they need to show to you know get a USC to pull the trigger on them. Yeah, and, and obviously you're a lot closer to that situation than, than I am in terms of what USC is looking for specifically. But for me, I mean, I'd offer both of them and take take the first guy I want to come. I, I love <laughs> both, and we've been to Texas and Florida, so I've seen what else is out there. I'm I'm a big fan of if you're USC, you know, you can go ahead and recruit nationally, um, but if the best guys are in your backyard. That's the that's the area that you really want to focus on, and that's not, not not just for USC. That's any Pac-10 school. You want to take care of your your home first. And yeah, it's great to bring in guys from out of state, but you know I always think you know these are the guys that if you don't get locally, you're going to be competing against those guys in the future years. So you want to really lock those guys in. And you know I saw Bar play three times last year. I think people may look at his frame and kind of wonder does he have the frame to bulk up into you know a 300 pounder? I think he does. Um, I think he's so quick, probably the most athletic of all the D tackles. And I personally would go ahead and offer him right now. I think he's that good. And then with Hayward, you know, he's a bigger bodied guy, you know, just bigger frame, bigger shoulders, bigger legs. I mean, he's just, you know, a bigger, just wider kid who uh, is going to be able to hold on more weight and, and really not even look much different. But again, a guy who with that kind of size, to me, shows up as a very explosive kid on film, uses his hands well, gets up the field. You know, you talk to him on the phone, he's a smart kid, intelligent, he knows what he's talking about, and, and I think he's an elite guy, too. Again, seeing the guys in Texas and Florida are two pretty good states for football, and I think those two guys would have been among the top handful of, of linemen at either of those two places. So I'm a big fan. I would probably offer both of them right now, and if you can only bring in one of them, Again, I think they're both pretty equal where you go ahead and offer both and whichever one wants to come, you find a spot for them. 
Well, you and I, as usual, are on the same page of that one, but uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, we'll see if uh, a camp like this, that, uh, like you said, gets national exposure. If uh, war gets around, one of these guys has a standout camp, they maybe get an offer, but uh, we'll kind of see how that plays out uh, throughout the spring. Now, two neat positions for USC this year, and the USC fans are they are every week, you know, podcasts, they have questions about it. Linebacker and the offensive line. Um, looking at linebacker first, that's an intriguing position. At the top, we have a guy coming to the camp, expected to come to the camp, Jason Gibson, who doesn't necessarily play linebacker, but it sounds like he's going to want to perform at linebacker at the camp. Talk a little about about him, just getting to see him maybe in space and doing some things that we don't get to see him do at Sarah High School. Six two and a half, about two fifteen. What does he do at the camp that kind of uh, allows some of these teams to become a little more comfortable with looking at him as a linebacker and not a defensive end? Yeah, I mean the the ability to be able to back up, backpedal, hips, you know, got to be able to turn and run with a tight end or a running back. I mean, that right there, if you can show that, because going forward, the guy's an absolute missile coming off the edge. I mean, I talked to his coach for a long time last night, knowing that, you know, you and I were talking today, and just kind of said, hey, linebacker, you know, can he can he do this? And, and Coach Allenberg's basic message was he would be their best linebacker, but, you know, the guy is unblockable playing off the edge. He has scholarships from every school right now except for USC. Every scholarship he said is as a linebacker. So he's thinking, you know, why should I move my, my best guy on the, on the line, the linebacker, when he's already getting offers as a linebacker? So he said he has no doubt at all that he can make that adjustment because he is such a freaky athlete, very twitchy, um, you know, has that ability to, again, turn, move around, play in space. He just hasn't been asked to do that. So I, I'm curious if he's going to go ahead and show that he can, you know, again, turn and run and cover some guys in space. And, you know, again, just it, it's, it's very difficult if you've never done it before, if you're used to just coming off the edge and getting up the field, to all of a sudden be asked, you know, to backpedal. Again, you got to turn. you, you got to run with guys. you got to, you know, be able to change direction very quickly. Uh, covering a guy is a lot harder than just getting up the field and running around a slow left tackle who, you know, probably will never play a second of college football. Um, but again, he has athleticism. Obviously, that the size definitely projects as a linebacker. So he's one of the guys that I'm I'm very curious about uh, to see if he can do that and he can play in space. And isn't that need to go out there and dominate? You know, again, you're not looking necessarily for who has the best day. You know, for me personally, I'm just looking for tools and and just kind of seeing. Okay, you know, he may struggle doing it, but does he show the ability to do that? And can he do that in two years from now? And if he can, then that's a guy that I would definitely go after. Um, and, and again, something that we talked about before, if by some weird stretch he can't make that change, you know what, you still have a phenomenal defensive end. And I, I'm always a guy that if you can find a guy you can rush the passer, you know, you can always find a spot for that guy on the field. So hopefully linebacker, but if not, you still have a heck of a football player who can, who can do some things for you. Yeah, definitely an asset, I think, to any football program, just you know, personality-wise and character-wise. Um, now, with the linebacker position, again, it's a neat position for USD. They've been very slow in uh, in kind of how they've evaluated some of the guys in state and not pulling a lot of scholarships. Uh, you have two other guys, one similar to Gibson and Corey Waller from Long Beach Poly, who is not as big as Gibson, 6'1", about 200 pounds. He says now he's bulked up to about 211, we'll see, at the camp. Uh, but he's another guy that plays a lot of DN and a lot of rush in. A lot of the questions with him are, you know, how does he play in space? Um, um, with him and maybe another guy here, Trey Madden, who is a linebacker and who is a guy that plays that full-time, plays uh, Mike linebacker from Mission Viejo, a little smaller sawed off, 
these are some of the guys we have coming in early to the camp that we're looking out for. What are your expectations of, of, of in general, the, the group of linebackers and maybe what they bring to the table and, and how you would characterize this group of linebackers in the 2011 class overall? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that the two big needs for USC are linebacker and offensive line, and, and just looking at it, those might be the two weakest positions in California next year. It's the second year in a row we're really down at O-line, and, you know, I think it's not really even that close at probably the three best O-line that I've seen in the West are all from Arizona this year. One of them's already committed to Texas. So a uh, little bit down in California. Um, you know, I think Isaac Latuatua from La Mirada, uh, Brian Brian Peters, his teammate, those two La Mirada kids are probably getting the most buzz right now with offers from schools. You know, I think UCLA's offered Isaac, Florida State's offered, you know, the Peters kid. Uh, but outside of those two, I'm not really just, you know, blown away. I'm, again, at the position that, again, I, I think a guy could really emerge, you know, someone who, again, I don't even know right now, just a potential sleeper just because, you know, obviously he's a sleeper and hasn't been discovered yet. Um, you know, getting back to linebacker, uh, you know, Waller, the first time I saw him play as a sophomore, he reminded me so much of Kenny Rowe and just of the, the same body structure. They play the same position. He's kind of emerged. You know, watched him last year against Los Al in that first-round playoff game. Just absolutely unblockable coming off that edge. And, again, just I, I really think he's kind of that hybrid guy. Is he an every-down outside linebacker? You know, I'm, I'm not sure he has that ability just because I haven't seen him do it yet. You know, he has, definitely has a linebacker frame, but he's such a good natural pass rusher. Uh, again, I'm not even sure what position he's going to want to do in college. If he sees himself as more of a linebacker versus a defensive end, you know, where Jason Gibson, I think, has the frame to bulk up into a pretty solid rush defensive end. I'm not sure if Corey has that, and then, uh, and I'm also not sure if he has that overall athletic ability to make a full-time transition to playing outside linebacker. So, I don't want to use the dreaded tweener word on him. <laughs> I do think he's a guy who's a great high school football player who has the ability to really project as a solid college football player. But I think with him, he's got to find the right system for him. Um, and, and Oregon, you know, a school like that that allows, you know, those undersized guys to just get up the field and make plays. Oregon State, kind of a similar system. Uh, even like at Utah, where they have those undersized guys, Boise State, where they just have those guys that, you know, maybe not fit the ideal, you know, height, weight, speed, but they go out and just make a lot of plays. So, again, maybe he'll, you know, hopefully he goes out there and shows that he can make that transition because he's a heck of a football player. And Trey Madden, you know, Bob Johnson just told me a week ago that he thinks Madden is the best defensive football player he's ever had, and he's had a few of them. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure, you know, about that. I've seen his film. I've seen Trey play numerous times. I think he's very, very good. Um, But, again, you know, the best player he's ever had, I don't Nick Reed was pretty darn good at Mission Viejo and, you know, obviously Pac-10 defensive MVP. So, uh, but Trey's an explosive kid, you know, plays inside at, at about 6'1", 225. So you, you kind of wonder, is he going to have the bulk to play inside or is he going to be able to move outside? He's a great athlete, definitely can run. And, and I'm, again, very intrigued by him. And I, I do think he's an elite player. Kind of shocked he only has that one offer from Washington right now. Now with, uh, with Waller, uh, and you kind of touched on it, uh, a guy that – you know, the Oregon States and the Oregons and, and maybe even a Utah would recruit and fit well in that system. Kind of like the guys that have been beating USC here in the last couple of years. Uh, with, with, that, with that said, I mean, that's an interesting question that comes up. With USC going after the top of the top, sometimes these guys have fallen through the cracks and they've ended up at Oregon State and they've beaten USC. When you're looking for a position where maybe you want to get three guys, maybe even four guys because you have some needs – 
does a guy like Waller, do you think in the past years USC's maybe overlooked guys like that, maybe have gotten a little bit, I don't want to say greedy, but they've gone and shot a little higher and not necessarily brought in enough guys that are those role-type players that can come in, and, and maybe they're not the you know first-round draft picks that USC tries to get every year in their recruiting classes, but as a guy that can contribute and maybe just be uh, a great football player for them that makes plays on the college level, and that's maybe just where he ends up. Yeah, I mean, like, even you, as you're talking, I'm just, my mind is racing to Kevin Ellison, probably one of my all-time favorite children football players. And again, because Redondo was, you know, about a block from where our office is, having a chance to know Kevin and his whole family for a lot of years. And you, you look at Kevin and you go, okay, is this a guy that USC would recruit now? Yeah. You know, they're, they're such a national power. You know, here's Ellison. You know, he, he's a high school linebacker. He's good. You know, but I don't think you ever watch him and go, oh, my gosh, this guy's a future pro. But he goes out there, and for me, you know, one of the best safeties they've had in the last five, six years and makes twice the plays that a Taylor Mays or, you know, one of those guys make, just does it in a quiet way. You know, may not fit the prototype height, weight, speed, but just a football player. That's a term, you know, kind of used to describe a guy like a Kevin Ellison, a Matt Grudegood. He's a football player. He just goes out there and gets it done. Um, now, again, you kind of mentioned, you know, USC's missed on guys. I, I'm not one that necessarily – buys that argument in the sense that, you know, I think any college in America, you know, would trade their roster for USC's in a second. So I don't, I don't know if it, it just, you know, when you lose a, 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 to a team like Oregon State, it, it's tough to say, oh, because if we didn't, you know, if we had another Corey Waller type or if we had this guy, you know, I, again, there's just so many things that go into it, you know, preparation and all the other things. I don't know if I would say, you know, it's necessarily been a, a lack of talent while they've lost a few games. Obviously, you can go back in hindsight and say, man, if we had this guy, he really could have helped us. But I think USC's talent has been you know, just fine. You, you look at other issues of why they, they have lost some games. But, you know, again, I think there is a place for a guy who's a Kevin Allison, Matt Grudegood. good. I'll even throw, you know, a Kenny Rowe, who USC did offer. But those guys that are just, again, may not fit the standard prototype, what you want, but they're just great football players and they can make plays no matter what system you are. So with Corey Waller, can he make plays in any system? Honestly, I'm not sure. That's what I'm kind of intrigued by next Sunday is he, he can go out there and show that he can go out maybe cover some people, and, and I'm curious what he's going to weigh and measure. And I, I mean, to me, he looks like a lot thinner framed than what Corey uh, than, me, than what, uh, what Kenny Rowe was. Can he get as big as Kenny and still maintain his, his speed? Again, we've got to wait and see it until next Sunday. But, you know, he's definitely a guy that I'm pretty intrigued by, and hopefully he comes out and does, you know, has a great camp. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and and that's what the camp is all about. It's about seeing these guys and, and allowing them to kind of prove themselves. And the funny thing about Kevin Ellison, I think uh, Kevin was actually a part of the Nike camp when uh, we did do some testing, and uh, if I recall, I think he was like a 4-7 guy. Uh, and that was back, I think, before Spark even. So, I mean, he was more of like a hand-time guy, and everybody talked about him playing linebacker in college and ended up being a safety at USC. And like you said, as far as being production guy, man, Next up, Taylor Mays, who's obviously a physical freak. It just kind of shows you that difference between that football ability and necessarily, you know, being a guy that's just a great athlete. Um, yeah. But uh, it's it's fun. I mean, that's that's how far back the Nike camp goes, and and some of the players that have come through, and some of the things you learn about football. You know, just watching these guys, and uh, you touched on you know the offensive line, and kind of just you know wrapping it up with with that that group of guys and you said you know the last few years have been pretty down in southern california and california in general for uh, the big uglies and that's a position that usc is going to want to get some numbers at again um 
with with the offensive line and kind of going back with the linebacker in terms of just getting some bodies when you're trying to recruit a need position and you're bringing in more than just you know two guys. Does USC have to maybe project a little bit with guys like uh, maybe a Marcus Martin, who's uh, 340, 350 pounds, kind of got some bad body weight on him, but maybe you bring him into a program and you work him a little more, you know, he, he starts to get into a better shape. Do you think there's some guys out there that maybe USC needs to project on a little bit more than they have in the past? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I think with Lyman, you really have to project. and it, you, That's one spot where if the, if the elite talent, I mean, obviously – you don't. I mean, my, my wife could see Tyron Smith and you know and Phil and, and those guys and say, "Oh, that guy's a good football player." I mean, but it's those guys. And again, the last couple of years, we just haven't had you know that really elite level lineman that just jumps out at you. So then you, you again, you got to go for maybe the guy. Uh, you know, there's kind of two ways to look at it. Do you go for the guy who's just the better football player right now, but maybe he's you know maybe he's a six one, six two, undersized kid, but just a really good football player, or do you go for a guy, the project type who's maybe has that frame? He's six five. You know, he's a little bit light, doesn't know what he's doing, raw technique. I think the number one thing you have to look for, and, you know, to got doing this for 14, 15 years, I, I think the number one skill, and I, I call it a skill, that has to translate to college isn't necessarily height, weight, speed, skill. It's, it's toughness. If you're not tough, doesn't matter what position you're playing, if you're not physically tough, whether it's quarterback, line, DB, linebacker, you will not play in college and excel. You, you can't be that way. You can be a 4-3 guy. You can be six, seven, three hundred pounds, and just yoked. But if you're not tough, you will never see the field. So, look at alignment. If you give me a guy who you know may not have any skill, maybe he's raw as heck. Maybe he doesn't even know how have a clue how to even line up. But he's extremely tough and physical. And he's got that frame. Maybe he's six four, six five and a half, and has the ability to put some weight on. That's the guy I think you got to look for. And so again, that's. Uh, if you're evaluating linemen, and, and obviously the coaches at SC and everywhere else get paid a lot of money to find those guys, that's who you got to look for. I think if it's a down year, you don't have the Tyron Smith just jumping out at you. And right now, again, I'm I'm not sure that I you know that I've seen that guy that just jumps out at me. So again, on Sunday, hopefully we'll see a guy that maybe fits that guy as a raw, projectable player who doesn't have it right now, but shows some of those other things. You know, the toughness, the size, the frame. Maybe that's the guy who can definitely you want to take a chance at because if you go ahead and coach him up and he can learn, now all of a sudden you've got a, you got something special there versus a guy who's always just going to be a solid player. And you know, if you're USC, are you content to just be solid, or do you want to win a national title? And I think you need that that really that difference maker on the line to get you to that next level. So that's another spot where I'm, again I'm pretty intrigued by, and hopefully a couple of kids emerge on Sunday. Yeah, we're excited to see that, and, and that is exactly one of those positions that uh, maybe it's not at the top. You know, we know all the guys coming in that are going to be good, uh, but hopefully by the end of the day, we do see some players and some guys that uh, USC can recruit because it's going to be interesting. Uh, it's uh, they're they're doing a lot of out of state offers right now for the offensive line, and uh, it's going to be tough to get those guys in, just like it was last year. But they did get uh, Chantrell Henderson, so this class. Um, it's intriguing, man, and uh, we're going to see Sunday what it looks like up close and personal. Greg Biggins from ESPN Rides. You can check him out on ESPN.com. Greg, always a pleasure. Great talking to you. Um, have a great day, and uh, we'll see you not next sun- not this Sunday, but uh, April 25th, and uh, we'll be excited, and we'll see uh, how it all pans out, man. Yeah, man, again, always good talking to you. You guys are doing a great job, and thanks for your support. And, yeah, we'll see you in a couple weeks, man. Looking forward to it. 
Greg Biggins, ESPN Rise recruiting analyst, the Nike football training camp, April 25th, USC. Check out uscfootball.com and ESPN for more on that. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.